basically day one, we were pretty sure that we were going to set a net zero standard. And this whole process that we went through was really about how do we actually achieve that net zero goal in the end? And what would the time frame be to hit it? Welcome to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast featuring conversations with leaders of the energy transition, hosted by Smart Energy Decisions founder, John Fiella. In each episode of Smart Energy Voices, John digs deep with industry movers and shakers to reveal insights you can learn from in their stories, personalities, and visions for the future. All right, let's dive in. Hey everyone, it's John Fiella, and welcome back to another episode of Smart Energy Voices. If you've listened to the podcast previously and haven't yet left us a review, please do so. We'd really appreciate it. Today we're going to be sharing a special keynote presentation from the inaugural Net Zero Forum featuring Andy Smith, Senior Manager of Global Energy Management and Sustainability at Cisco Systems. In his keynote presentation, Andy provides a deep dive into the process that they recently went through to evaluate, establish, and certify their net zero goal through the Science-Based Targets Initiative, in addition to the strategy that Cisco's developed to achieve both its long- and short-term goals between now and 2040. Here's a great presentation from Andy Smith at Cisco Systems. So Cisco sells a broad range of IT technology solutions and services with the overall goal to help our customers create a highly secure, intelligent platform to run their business. We have over 80,000 employees. We're a little over $50 billion company. We're in over 100 countries around the world. And from an internal operations perspective, we've got 350, over 350 buildings across 18 million square feet of building space. We also, from a Scope 3 perspective, we outsource all of our contract manufacturing and have a pretty extensive supply chain and product use, which really contributes heavily to our Scope 3 missions, which I'll talk about here shortly. Our purpose as a company is to power an inclusive future for all. That aligns very well for our, our environmental sustainability goals and programs, because frankly, you, you can't achieve this mission, this purpose, without a healthy planet where we can all live and thrive in. As a result, you know, we've got a lot of engagement across the company, across our business units, across up and down the company as well, up to the highest levels of the company that support our efforts when it comes to sustainability as well as our net zero journey. Frankly, it's, we've, we've never had more support in the 15 years that I've been at Cisco. So it's really an exciting time to be working on this, really in the corporate world in general. The other part of this is Cisco also sees a tremendous business opportunity as a company. We've got some of the most innovative engineering teams out there working on really cool technology. And we, we do believe the tech industry and Cisco in particular has a big role to play in helping us address and solve the climate crisis. So that also helps, I think, get additional support for the work that we're doing here at Cisco. So net zero. Cisco has a long history of setting sustainability goals, ambitious climate goals. But I'd say over the last uh, couple of years, we started to fall behind kind of the trends that we were seeing in the marketplace. We had a very aggressive 60% absolute greenhouse gas reduction goal. We also had an 85% renewable electricity target. And we are coming due on those goals. We are going to achieve those goals. But at that time, really the market leaders in sustainability were setting you know, RE100 goals, setting net zero goals. And we had a perception that Cisco was, was really kind of middle of the pack, kind of falling behind. 
with regards to our sustainability goals. We went through a process. It took about a year, maybe a little bit less of a year, to, to really look at our sustainability goals. Our prior goals were getting close to being wrapped up, so it was good timing to really engage on our goal-setting process. And ultimately, we decided on setting a net zero goal. We have a long-term FY40, 2040 net zero goal that covers all of our scope one through three emissions. This is to be achieved by 2040. But on top of that, we've got a a couple of near-term targets, uh, also very aggressive goals. We've got a a 90% reduction of scope one and two emissions by 2025, which is right around the corner. And then we also have a 2030 goal, a 30% reduction focused on some of our largest categories of scope three emissions by 2030 as well. We also took our process, our new goals, through the SBTI, the Science-Based Target Initiative, net zero corporate standard certification process. That standard was actually released a couple of months after we set these goals, but we had a good consultant that really knew what the standard was going to look like. So we were fairly in line with what that standard was going to be. We, We had pretty good insight on it before as we were developing our goals. So not a huge amount of surprises, although I can talk a bit about some of the requirements of SBTI as well. So really, what is net zero? So net zero is really a state where we add no incremental greenhouse gas emissions into the atmosphere. It's what climate science says we must reach by 2050 in order to limit warming to to no more than one and a half degrees Celsius to avoid the the worst effects of climate change. So as I mentioned, we have gone through the SBTI uh, certification process, and there are a lot of requirements that SBTI has. One of them is around achieving a 90% reduction as part of your net zero goal. So you can't just buy your way out of this target. You can't just buy a bunch of offsets to be able to hit your target. That's frankly a good thing. It forces companies to really focus on the key changes they have to make to their businesses and to really look at the key areas where they are emitting and focus on how do you reduce those emissions as opposed to just offset them or avoid them in the end. So that was one requirement. So you have to really limit carbon offsets to no more than than 10% of achievement for this goal. Another requirement is really around near-term and long-term targets, which is why we have those near-term and long-term targets as well. In the near-term, you have to set a target between five and 10 years out in the future that covers 95% of your scope one and two emissions and covers about two-thirds of your scope three emissions. So very ambitious, and it also has to be in line with a one and a half degree Celsius pathway as well. And then on top of that, uh, you have to set that longer-term goal that covers 95%, scope one and two, and then at least 90% of your scope three emissions. And then you have to commit to removing any residual emissions beyond 90% as well. And that goal has to be 2050 or prior, again, aligned with the one and a half degree Celsius pathway. So we wanted to go with the SBTI net standard, a net zero standard, because we wanted a third-party verification of our goals. There were hundreds of net zero goals being set out there, and they all looked a little bit different from our perspective. Some were very comprehensive, covered all scope one through three. Some covered just a portion of scope three, maybe some categories that that companies felt comfortable that they could address in the end. But we wanted to go through the net zero standard and and really set a very aggressive goal in the end that that had third-party backing, and it was aligned with with, a third-party standard in the end. So the process that we went through, this started about a year and a half ago in January 2021. And I'd say never before have we, this is the fourth goal setting process that I've gone through at Cisco. I've been there for about 15 years. And in prior goals, we really had to build a a strong business case of why we were going to set these goals. 
But frankly, before January 2021, we were getting pressure from our internal stakeholders, our employees, our sales teams, our customers as well, that we needed to update our goals and have a more aggressive goal. And why didn't we have a net zero target? That we kept getting asked. It. So we actually had to slow, slow things down and say, hey, we're, we're not ready to set a net zero standard. We really, I mean, we were reporting on a couple of categories of scope three, but we weren't reporting on all of them at that time. So we really need to take a step back to really understand. We were very good on scope one and two, and we were okay on scope three. So we really need to take a step back and really understand our scope three emissions. So we, we hired a consultant, very good consultant, that really took a deep dive on all of our scope one, two, three calculation methodologies. And we, we revised a bunch of things. We were pretty good overall, but we, we revised things and updated all of our numbers and metrics. And once we did that, we had a better sense of where we were at from an emissions perspective. And from there, we were able to project out under a, say, business as usual scenario, as well as a number of other scenarios, if we pulled different levers to reduce our emissions, where we could get in terms of emissions reductions, knowing that we had to achieve that 90% reduction to stay in line with the SBTI net zero standard. So we built a pretty robust analysis and forecasting model around our scope one through three emissions. We engaged with different BUs and make sure that across the company, uh, we all knew what, what had to be done for the most part to achieve this target, knowing that you know, scope three was still a bit of an evolving area that things were going to change in the long, long run. But we were able to get good buy-in in the end. But again, I was just surprised that basically day one, we were pretty sure that we were going to set a net zero standard. And this whole process that we went through was really about how do we actually achieve that net zero goal in the end? And what would the time frame be to hit it? So we settled on those, those three targets, the, the long-term and the near-term goals, we presented that internally, got executive buy-in, which was probably the easiest process I've ever gone through uh, of the four goals that I set. And then we publicly announced in September of 2021. So about uh, nine months from start to finish to get this goal fully baked out and then publicly released. We then took it through the SBTI process. The SBTI corporate standard uh, was not approved or was not public until November, a couple months after we announced our goal. We submitted our application in late December and then it took about five, six months to go through the SBTI approval process in the end. It actually took a couple months just to get somebody assigned through SBTI. They have hundreds of applications right now. So definitely plan that out. Know that you're probably going to take a couple months before you're even going to get someone assigned to your goal after you submit. And then this December, we'll, we'll publicly release our first ESG report and we'll report progress against our new net zero goal for the first time in that report later this year. All right, so taking a step back, I did want to talk a bit about Cisco's scope one, two, and three emissions. This is how it looks for Cisco. Scope three is by far the largest source of emissions. And, and given that I focused on scope one and two for 15 years at Cisco, this made me a little sad, <laughs> felt maybe a little inadequate uh, at times, because it was a, a lot of work over the last 15 years to address 1% of Cisco's emissions. It would have been two or 3% had, had I not been there. So. I'll take solace in that. But again, scope three is huge. It's 99% of our portfolio. But if you break it down, there's 15 categories of scope three. For us, category 11, use of sold goods, use of sold products, is about three quarters of our scope three emissions. It's the biggest challenge for us. We sell a lot of products, a lot of gear that plugs into our customer's electric grid. And as a result, it releases a lot of emissions in the end. So that's three quarters of our challenge. The next 20% comes to our supply chain. We contract out our supply chain manufacturing. We also do a lot of indirect procurement. So really direct and indirect procurement in our supply chain. That's the next 20%, the next largest challenge for us. 
And then the other 13 or 14 categories represent 3 or 4% of us, and then scope 1 and 2, that last percent. So our big focus is really on those two big categories there for scope 3 over the next 15 years, and that's going to be the, the biggest challenge for, for Cisco. Despite the fact that scope 1 and 2 is only 1% of our emissions, we have a very robust strategy to achieve our scope 1 and 2 goal. The other value is that uh, everything we do to address our scope one and two missions are things that our customers, our suppliers need to do for their operations, for their scope one and two emissions. And if they're able to replicate some of the things that we're doing, that will help us towards achieving our scope three goal as well. So a lot of the things that are listed here, for us, renewable electricity is a huge part of our strategy, clean, zero emission power is going to get us about 75% of the way towards our our reduction goal for scope one and two, it's also going to take us quite a ways for our, our scope three goal as well. So for Cisco, we're actually focusing a lot of effort on, on our renewable energy efforts, both from installing on-site solar. We've done quite a few megawatts of on-site solar, but we're going to be hopefully tripling that over the next three years. And then we're really ramping up our off-site procurement of renewables. We've done about 150, 160 megawatts of off-site contracts to date between PPAs, VPPAs, and Green Terrace, we're looking to triple that as well in the next three years. So pretty significant effort for us to address our scope one and two. Energy management, we're going to continue to invest in energy efficiency. We always get very good paybacks, one to four-year paybacks on most of our projects. Frankly, with where energy prices are today in, in many parts of the world, that payback should come down. I mean, when prices in Europe have doubled, tripled, quadrupled, all of a sudden our efficiency projects are going to deliver a lot of financial, much, much better financial returns than we've ever, ever seen before. On top of that, we are going through a real estate transformation at Cisco, a hybrid transformation. We were already on this journey before COVID. COVID has helped accelerate that. So we are actually going to be uh, reducing. Uh, we've got 18 million square feet of building space today, but we don't use that workspace like we once did. Our occupancy levels of those spaces are, are very, very low. Our workers want to work wherever, whenever, two in the morning. Our engineers love to work at home in the basement. They're not coming to the office nearly as much as they did. We're frankly overbuilt. So we're going through this transformation. We're going to modify our workspaces for more collaboration centers where teams can come together. And the benefit from sustainability is that as we transform that workplace, we're going to reduce our square footage and we'll see a fair bit of energy savings by reducing our commercial office space. Some of that, obviously, from a scope three perspective, you're going to increase the home, home energy use as well. And that's a challenge that we're going to, I think the whole industry is going to have to deal with, but you're also going to be getting rid of a lot of commute emissions as well. So we, we believe that the hybrid transformation net net is a, is, a, is a positive for the world from a climate perspective. And we're also doing a lot of infrastructure replacements and optimization of our labs and data centers as well. Labs and data center represent about 80% of our energy use across our portfolio. So it's a big area of focus from an efficiency perspective to optimize those, those spaces. Electrification is relatively new to us. It really comes down to our building heating systems and our vehicles. So we just heard a great presentation on, on the EV transformation. That represents about 40% of our scope one emissions. The heating system represent another 40%. So those two alone are you know, over 80% of our scope one emissions. And scope one is, is really challenging in general. You can't quickly get rid of scope one emissions. So we're actually going to be electrifying a lot of our hot water and heating systems at some of our major campus sites. Luckily, a lot of those systems are actually ready and up for replacement. They're 20 years old, so they need to be replaced very soon. So we've got a good opportunity 
to replace them with uh, electric uh, heating systems, heat pump systems, and installing some heat recovery chillers as well. And then on the fleet side, we're already 25% EVs across our fleet today. We're going to get that to over 50% by 2025, and then we'll get that to much closer to 100% by 2030. And then lastly, we've never purchased carbon offsets or had a strategy around it before. We know we're going to have to purchase some. We're trying to limit that to no more than 10% of this goal to stay in line with the SBTI net zero standard. But we're taking that as part of scope one and two strategy as well. So we are going to develop a robust carbon offset strategy focusing on carbon removals. And we're, we're going to be looking at developing a strategy that really where we'll purchase, you know, reputable, highly credible carbon offsets. We haven't done it yet, but we're in the middle of, of that strategy because it is carbon offsets do get a very negative connotation externally. So we want to make sure that we purchase the right kinds of carbon offsets for this goal. Similar chart that you saw earlier, we developed a a very detailed roadmap for scope one and two, and you can see business as usual growth, some modifications with the the, the grid that will help us in terms of emissions perspective, and then all those levers that I talked about. This is our pathway for the next three years to get us to that 90% reduction. And again, you can see renewable electricity is by far the biggest chunk there. That's 75%. So that's why we're focusing a lot of effort on, on renewables for our goal. So that's a lot of talking on scope one and two, which is 1% of ours. (laughs) So I I talked about renewables. It is worth talking about renewable energy strategy because it is such a big part of ours. I have to say, historically, we purchased a lot of RECs. We purchased on bundle RECs for 20 years as a company. We're trying to reduce that and minimize that. We started getting into the the PPA and VPPA and long-term renewable energy contract perspective. We're actually uh, looking at equity investments now in renewables. We're going to purchase RECs for a while, but that's a significant portion today. And I I hope to get that way, way down over the next three years as we invest in more long-term renewable contracts that we can point to as additional projects that add new renewable capacity to the grid. But that said, there are certain markets in the world where environmental attributes is really the only option. For some of our small lease sites in parts of Asia, that is the only option. So we do think there is going to be minimal amount of rec purchases that we're going to have to pursue, similar to carbon offsets as part of this goal. So from a scope three perspective, it's not nearly as flushed out and baked out as, as what I'd say our scope one and two is, but it really boils down to uh, similar strategies. Improving the efficiency of our product is a big, big thing our engineering, engineering team is working on. Embracing the hybrid work transformation, I mentioned we're going to see benefits on our own portfolio, and we do think that our customers, our customers will also see benefits from a, a CO2 perspective if they embrace hybrid. Continue to embed circular economy principles across our operations, investing in carbon, innovative carbon removal solutions. Again, carbon offsets, carbon removals will be a part of our broader net zero goal as well. And then accelerating the use of clean and renewable energy. That's really, and I'd say that's really the biggest part of our scope three strategy as well. We've got a 15 plus year timeline for, for net zero for this goal. So this strategy will evolve. And I'd say enveloping all this is we're engaging with our customers and our suppliers. We can't do this without partnership and collaboration with our suppliers and customers in the end. So we we can't just go out and purchase a bunch of renewable energy to achieve this goal. We're going to have to work very closely with our customers and suppliers because their scope two is our scope three. And frankly, our customers are engaging us as well because their scope three emissions is in many cases our scope one and two emissions. So there's going to be a lot of partnership and collaboration as we collectively move forward on our net zero journeys.
Thanks, Andy, for taking the time to share your insights, experience, and the level of detail that Cisco has gone through in their journey. And we really appreciate you being a member of the advisory board. And thanks again so much for your participation in the inaugural Net Zero Forum. We look forward to following you and Cisco's journey on the road to Net Zero. I'd also like to thank you, our community of listeners, for listening to Smart Energy Voices and being part of our community. If you enjoyed this episode of Smart Energy Voices, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and tell your colleagues and peers about it. And to learn about how you can become a part of the next Smart Energy Decisions event, click on the link in the show notes for more information. We're honored to have the opportunity to share conversations with leaders of the energy transition in this podcast, on our website, and at our events, all in the interest of helping you make smart energy decisions. Thanks for listening to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast. Digest the insights from today's episode and take action on the ideas that have inspired you. Join us every Friday for conversations with smart energy leaders. To keep up to date with trends and happenings in the energy transition, visit smartenergydecisions.com to register for our daily newsletter and become part of the Smart Energy Decisions community.